looking at in the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Just while you're turning there, it is really wonderful to be in this uh, wonderful church, in this wonderful city. We had a look around Birmingham yesterday, and it really is a stunning place. And I hope that you love this great city. Uh, we love the city we come from, Bulawayo, and uh, Birmingham is clearly a great city with great opportunity for Christ to be preached and for life uh, to be different because God's people are here. Are you in 1 Samuel 17? 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to read from verse 4. I'm reading from the NIV. The Bible says, A champion, can I hear everyone say champion? champion. Named Goliath, who was from Goth, came out of the Philistine camp. Philistines are the bad guys in our story. He was over nine feet tall. Had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he had like giant shin pads, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood nine feet tall and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. God, we thank you that every word that you wrote in your scriptures is useful, is powerful for teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, training us in righteousness so that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God, we thank you that your word never returns to you without accomplishing the purposes for which you've sent it. And God, we pray that you would build your truth into our lives this morning as we gather. We pray that not one of us would leave here unprovoked, unchallenged, or untransformed by the power of your word. Help me as I speak. Help all of us as we listen. Let our hearts be like fertile soil, ready to receive your word. And if you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. We open up this morning with the concept of a champion. What is a champion? A champion is something that saves us from what we fear or that lifts us into greatness. A champion is someone like Goliath who was representing the Philistines. He was nine feet tall, and he was ready for battle. You and I might say, do you know what? We want to take on, we want to take on, we are church central, we want to take on the crown church. And so we're going to select a champion. It might go something like this. It might look like everyone standing up, please. And saying, we've got to show those guys from that church across the town. So what we're going to do is we're going to select from ourselves a champion. Now this champion Goliath was nine feet tall, which is very tall. 
I am five foot six. And if you are five foot six, my height or below, please sit down. You are out of the championship race. You can be a fellow shield bearer with me, but you're not Goliath material. Goliath was tall. He wasn't just six foot. In fact, if you are six foot or less, could you grab a seat? Because you probably won't be representing us in this championship match. Now we're left. Now we're left with the raw materials of championship. Men, strong and very British. <laughs> Six foot tall or taller. But we've got to raise the stakes because really we want one champion to represent us. And so we say that if you are six foot three or below, please take your seat. <laughs> Behold your champion. Everyone needs a hero. I do, you probably do too. Everyone needs a hero. It starts off when we're young, and we might, when we're young, if uh, you are six or seven or eight years old, you may look to your dad, and he's your hero. He's the one who protects you from what you fear. He's the one who lifts you into greatness and kind of inspires you and lifts you up and encourages you and is a model for you. All of us need something like that. It expresses itself in different ways at different times, but all of us need a hero. That's one of the reasons why we watch Wimbledon with such great interest. <laughs> and people will come from around the world, and if we are from the United Kingdom, everyone is hoping that the champion will emerge and his name will be Andrew Murray. Why? Why, why is that important? Well, well, he's our champion. He's our representative. He's the one who kind of protects us from what we fear, from the Federers and Nadals of this world. He's the one who lifts us into greatness. And when we watch the World Cup, we hope that England's going to come through and conquer all the other nations. And we look to Rooney and he sells things when he advertises them. And we look to Lampard. Why? Because we, we know that if they can taste greatness, perhaps we as a nation can taste greatness with them. in so many worlds, comes, comes through in the sporting world, you might be rushing home or watching your watch already and thinking the Grand Prix is going to be on very soon. I, 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 I want to go and watch my champion do something for me. Often in the sporting world, sometimes in the political world, in Zimbabwe, we have, we're looking for a political salvation, if you like, a political champion, someone to save us from what we fear, someone who can lift us into greatness. Every time that people vote for a prime minister, people are looking for someone who can save them from what they fear, save them from a bad economy, save them from a recession, save them from crime. Our champions, we lift them up. Sometimes they're prime ministers. In Zimbabwe, we had a champion. Her name was Kirsty Coventry. Kirsty Coventry is 26 years old. She is an Olympic medal winner. She is a world record holder. She does backstroke, individual medley. 2004, at the Athens Olympics, she won three medals. One silver, one gold, sorry, one bronze, one silver, and one gold. 
in the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, she won four medals, three silver and one gold. The head of the Zimbabwe Olympic Committee called her our national treasure. The president of our nation, Robert Mugabe, called her our golden girl. He gave her 100,000 US dollars cash for what she had done for our nation. She was a champion, if you like. All of us are looking for a champion somewhere, and often when we don't find one, sometimes we can say, do you know what? I'll be the champion. You might be a workaholic here. One of the reasons is you've decided that, you know what? I'm going to be the one who delivers myself from what I fear, lack, or insignificance. I'm going to lift myself into greatness. All of us need a champion, and sometimes we'll say, do you know what? I'll be my own champion if necessary. Staying with Jonathan and Helen, and Jonathan tells me he's a U2 fan. He's got this book, which is simply titled U2 by U2. On the back of this, Bono, you can see him over there looking cool, as usual. <laughs> Bono says this. I, I found this very interesting. He says this. You don't become a rock star unless you've got something missing somewhere. That is obvious to me, says Bono. If you were of sound mind, you could feel normal without 70,000 people a night screaming their love for you. It's Bono from U2. He says, do you know what? I kind of decided at some point that I needed to become my own champion. I needed to have people looking at me and every eye on me and 70,000 people screaming their love for me because he decided, you know, I'm going to be my own champion. You see, one of, the things about, one of the things about being your own champion is that puts a lot of pressure on you. Did you know that? You need to decide who your champion is today. The Philistines in about 1022 BC, they, they decided on their champion, and their champion was a man called Goliath, nine feet tall. Israel couldn't find a champion until David turned up. 1 Samuel 17, verse 32. David comes onto the scene. He says, hey, listen, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David said, hey, listen, if this nation needs a champion, I'll be that champion. Now, at this point, I want to make it clear that I don't think that this story, David and Goliath, most of you have heard this story, I don't think that this story is just about David. I believe that this story is a picture of someone much, much greater than David. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He said that every verse of Scripture points towards Jesus. Did you know that? Someone came to Spurgeon and said, hey, Mr. Spurgeon, my verse doesn't. Spurgeon said to him, well, turn very quickly to the next one, because that one will. Every verse of Scripture points us to Jesus. And when we look at the story of David and the story of, story of David and Goliath, we will see not just David, but we will see the son of David pictured in this story about David. You see, David in this story, the story of David and Goliath, is just a type, he's just a, a shadow of the one who is to come after him, the son of David, Jesus Christ. David the giant slayer is just a picture, a shadow of Jesus, the ultimate giant slayer. David, the champion of the people of Israel, is just a shadow, he's just a type, he's just a picture of the ultimate champion of the people of God, Jesus Christ. 
You say, where, where do you get that from? Well, there's all kinds of things. And David was anointed by the Spirit, and Jesus was anointed by the Spirit. David was sent by the Father to his brothers, and Jesus was sent by the Father to his brothers. David was rejected by his brothers, and Jesus was rejected by his brothers. There's all kinds of similarities, but we're just going to highlight two in our remaining time. And we're going to jump forward, fast forward in our video camera to the point in verse 50 where the Bible says, David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Verse 51, David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. You're seeing here that this is a story about David, but there's one greater than David in the story. This is a picture of something that happened. And the Bible says that David, he rejected Saul's armor, and he went against Goliath with just a sling and a stone. He took him down with one throw. The giant fell down. David ran forward, took Goliath's own sword. Imagine this is a sword for a moment. If you're a Star Wars fan, you'll know it looks like a lightsaber. Pretty cool. And David cut off Goliath's head with his own sword. Now, if you'd said to Goliath when he woke up that morning, hey, Goliath, show me your sword, he'd have said, here's my sword. He said, Goliath, what are you going to do with your sword? He'd have said, I'm going to defy the ranks of the army of Israel with this sword. He would have struggled to believe that his own sword would be used to remove his own head from his own shoulders. It's kind of like scoring an own goal in soccer. You don't expect it to happen when you go out onto the battlefield. But that's exactly what happened to David, to, to, to Goliath, is he went out onto the battlefield and humiliation of humiliations, his own head was cut off with his own sword. Jesus, when he came and walked on earth, what, what I want to do in our remaining time is just talk about Jesus. When Jesus walked the earth, he didn't take on a nine-foot Goliath. He took on the giant of death. And he squared off against death, just like David squared off against Goliath. And he became, the Bible says, obedient to death, even death on a cross. But the Bible says that three days later, he rose again. And he conquered death by dying. Augustine, in about 400 AD, he was studying exactly this story. And he looked at David and Goliath. And then he looked at Jesus and what he accomplished by defeating death on the cross. And Augustine looked at David and Goliath. And then he looked at Jesus and what he did on the cross. And he said of Jesus man by dying death he slayed by dying he took death's own sword and he slayed death by dying he slayed death using death's own sword it's the first way that we see 
Jesus himself shining out from these stories and picture in, in, in the scripture. We see a picture of Jesus as we study these verses. But there's a second way that we are reminded of Jesus as we look at this story. Are you still in 1 Samuel 17? 1 Samuel 17, let's look at verse 51. David's just killed Goliath, cut off his head with his own sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Now at this point, you've got to remember what the stakes of the championship were. Goliath stood up. Could our Goliath stand up? What's your name, sir? James. He stood up and he said, hey, listen, elect a champion. Nathan, do you mind being a champion today? Could you be our champion? Give our champion a hand. <laughs> Battle lines are drawn. You get to be the Philistines in this story. You get to be Israel in this story. James says this, hey, listen, Israel, why don't you select the best guy that you can, and if you can bring him out and we will fight one-on-one, the way this is going to work, the way this is going to happen, is if he beats me, (laughs) if he beats me, then all of us over here will become your servants. But, says Goliath, if I beat him, then all of you are going to become our servants. Those are the stakes. That was the deal. That was what what was agreed before the battle. You can grab a seat, James. You can grab a seat, Nathan. Now in verse 51, the Philistines apparently forgot their part of the deal because the Bible says when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Conveniently forgot the agreement before the battle. Then verse 52, the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharaim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. That's you guys, remember? Now remember, before David showed up, Goliath was wreaking havoc. Saul and all of his men were shaking in their sandals because no one could go and face Goliath. Not one, 40 days. Goliath would stand and shout his challenge, and the people of Israel would be like, well, But all of a sudden, we see a picture of a transformed people, of a transformed Israel. We see them surging forward with a shout, plundering the enemy. If it wasn't my first time preaching, I'd have had the Israelites come and plunder the Philistines. But I'm on my best behavior because you don't know me very well yet.
Spurgeon said this about this story. He said that, I, I, I love this. If you can get this. He said that every Israelite that day became a victor in David's victory. Israelites who were weak and afraid and pathetic and cowardly, every single one who was an Israelite that day became a victor in David's victory. That's the way championships work. When the champion is victorious, his whole people are victorious. And that is what happened with David and the people of Israel. And the Bible says that the theme of championship runs throughout the Bible. Do you know that our champion at one time was a guy called Adam? The Bible says he was the champion of the human race. But he sinned in a garden. He fell in a garden. And the Bible says that you and I all fell with him. We bombed out of the World Cup with Adam. And you may think, no, no, that's, that's not fair. I, why, why do I fall with Adam? Adam made the wrong decision. No, 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 no. That's the way it works. When the champion falls, everyone falls with them. But the, that's the bad news. The good news is the Bible says there was a second Adam. There was a second champion. And his name is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that just as all fell in Jesus in Adam, the Bible says that all who believe rise with Jesus Christ. They rise with him in his victory. You and I become victors in Jesus Christ's victory. My friend Andrew Wilson says there has only ever been one victory. Don't think Uruguay against Germany. Germany won last night. That's not a victory. Don't think Nelson defeated the bad guys at the Battle of Waterloo or wherever that was. That is not a victory. It is kind of, it's kind of a win, but there's only ever been one victory, and that is the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross over Satan, sin, and death. He looked death in the eye, and he conquered death. He cut off death's head with his own sword, and when death fell, sin fell, all those things fell against Jesus Christ, the name above every name, and the Bible says, here's the good news, that is the greatest victory there ever was or ever will be, and you and I are victors in that victory through Jesus Christ, you are more than a conqueror over Satan, sin, and death through him who loved you. Oh, that is good news. It is good news that you and I are victors in the greatest victory that there has ever been. When I was watching the World Cup, you know, they'd show a goal and then they kind of cut across to one of the big fan parks. And what she sees, you see everyone standing like this in the fan park. Two seconds before the goal, but when the news hits them via satellite TV that they are now in the, vict in the lead, they haven't even won a victory yet, you see a whole fan park, thousands of people erupt in shouting and singing and dancing. And man, you and I as Christians should look at that and think, you know what, we feel that way every single day of our lives because we realize that we're not just part of some World Cup goal or some World Cup playoff. We are a part of the greatest victory that there has ever been on planet Earth. More than conquerors through him who loved us. It's good news. It's what got Paul going in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. If you can turn there with me very quickly. We've got to move in for a landing in just a few moments. 
And when you're in Ephesians 1.18, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a victor in Christ's victory. When you understand who Jesus is, you realize you don't need another champion. You don't need another hero. You don't need to be your own champion with 70,000 fans a night shouting your fame. You don't need to look to someone else to win anything for you because you look at Jesus Christ alone, your perfect champion. That's how the Apostle Paul lived his life. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, he says, Church Central, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's 17 into 18. I pray. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. You know, when, when, when you're training preachers, you tell them, do you know what, you, you, try not to finish a message without telling people what they should do. I think that's good advice, but this morning, I'm going to maybe give you some ideas about stuff to do just now, but what I, want, what I want to happen is I want us to see Jesus, our champion. Jesus, our perfect, spotless righteousness. Jesus, the one by whom we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Jesus, the one in whom death and sin and Satan have been conquered, and we are conquerors over those in him. If we can understand that, then I'm so happy. If we can, if uh, my prayer for Church Central today is that you would, you would, you would know the hope to which he's called you, verse 18. That Church Central, you would know the riches of our champion's glorious inheritance in you. Church Central, it's my prayer for you that you would know our champion, Jesus Christ's incomparably great power for us who believe. Talking about incomparably great power, that means this is a power for you, in you, that nothing can be compared to. Have you thought about that? Think about what's, what's, let's just think about the sun for a moment. Do you know how powerful the sun is? The sun is the equivalent of 90 million one megaton nuclear bombs. God put it there. We were moving around Birmingham. We had such a great time. We were in Birmingham, and we just saw this buzzing economy. We went to the bull ring, and there's shops everywhere, and money being spent flying around everywhere, and restaurants and eating places and superstores and so on. But you and I don't have enough money to run the sun. It would take the entire United States economy seven million years to run the sun for one second. That's because in one second, the sun produces more power than human beings have produced in all of history. Paul says, no, no, no. There's an incomparable power at work for us who believe, in those who believe. It's not just an abstract power. It's not just, wow, Jesus was raised from the dead. That's amazing. Paul says, Church Central, you've got to get this. This power is at work in you. It's at work for you. That power, I love this, 
At this point, Paul, it's like he reaches for his thesaurus with his left hand and his dictionary with his right hand, and he tries to throw every adjective he can to describe his power. He says that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. By dying, death he slayed and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Uh, can you see where your champion is, Church Central? Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the one to come. This is your champion. Sorry to pick on Nathan. Nathan's going to, he's going to grammar school next year. Is that right? I remember being in high school. And when you go to high school, we had 13 years old. Our prefix were 18 years old. When you heard a prefix voice, you jumped. You didn't ask why. You didn't even ask how high. You jumped and you asked when you can get back on the ground again. That's how you listen to prefix. And in that world, man, I can see this photo over here. It says, this guy was the chief master. Can you see him? Roger Dancy. Chief master, 1998 to 2005. That, that, that's a cool title. That, that means he ruled this roost from 1998 to 2005. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You, no, no, no one's heard of Mr. Dancy. When you talk about titles, every title you can name, someone very kindly showed me J.R.R. Token went to the school. How cool is that? And his name is on the board out there. It says that he went on to Oxford, Exeter College in Oxford to be precise. <laughs> I think, man, that, that, that is way cool. And Paul thinks, if you think that that is way cool, Church Central, behold your champion who has a name that is far above every rule, authority, power, and dominion in every name that can be named in this age. And when you've completed all of those in the age to come, your champion is higher. And you are in him. And you are victors in his victory. I love the... We were praying together once in our church. We saw, we saw a picture. We saw a prophetic picture of... Uh, you know the league tables that they show? It's like second division. And then there's first division. Is that the next thing up? And then after that, there's the Premier League. And they kind of show you, they've just been relegated. They just moved out of that division into that division. And, and these people just moved up and they've just, and there's goal difference and points difference. And then all of a sudden, we saw in this prophetic picture, we saw at the top of the Premier League, the name Jesus Christ. top of the Premier League. Second place in the Premier League, blank. Third place, blank. Fourth place, blank. Fifth place, blank. Sixth place, blank. The rest of the screen was blank. Just Jesus Christ. And the next table in the league, the first division, Jesus Christ, top of the Premiership. First division, the whole table, blank. Second division, the whole table, blank. What was God saying to us at that point in time? He was saying, you've got to understand that your champion is in a league of his own. And you 